Alrighty, welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a proud member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and this week's guest is Patrick Hallahan, drummer for the rock band My Morning Jacket. Formed in 1998, My Morning Jacket leans heavily into rock and country, but they pride themselves in having no limitations, and we definitely get into that in this episode. Patrick, while certainly not tame on the records by any means, is a monster drummer live and provides the perfect foundation for a lot of My Morning Jacket's experimentation throughout their career. I loved this conversation, and I was grateful to get a geek out about Levon Helm yet again. Patrick has a great story about meeting Levon, so listen for that. And be sure to check out My Morning Jacket's new self-titled record, which came out October 22nd of 2021, and have a great damn day. Cheers. I do want to start off by talking about or saying a quote that I read from you, and maybe we can just expound upon that. I just, I, I love the perspective. So the quote is, I get scared about taking lessons because I worry that it will affect the feel I've been trying to develop for so long. I just don't want to be thrown off right now. We play so much that I get to try out new things anyway. That's a perspective on technique that I wish I had. Are you laughing? You're like, who's, who's that pretentious dude? <laughs> How old was that? Oh, shit. I think that was when maybe like Evil Urges was coming out. So Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah 2008, yeah. something around there. My whole perspective has changed since that quote <laughs> has been drawn, by the way. But please go ahead. Well, no, I just, I mean, if that's, that's great, then how has it changed? And it was, it was basically going to be just a, uh, I was going to ask you about your relationship with technique, essentially. That's, uh, man, it is all encompassing right now. I hear that. It's really funny that, that you draw that quote because that's the guy <laughs> I'm fighting right now. Yeah. Is, uh, I don't, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's like the, the Louisville uh, indie scene or whatever that I grew up in, it was kind of, it, it was a very DIY approach to everything. And it was almost like lessons were frowned upon in a way. Like, and I never took a lesson. I'm, I'm a self-taught drummer. Um, the only lessons I took were guitar lessons. Um, and so it wasn't really something that I believed in it was something that i was just always told and people say it about a golf swing too like if you start with if you find your own golf swing don't go take lessons or it's going to screw you up and and you'll have to start from square one again and and uh you know that's kind of what i was told like oh well you've gotten this far in life um on your own don't screw it up now and and have to start over in front of people and that is all such crap honestly like I've, I've just found over time i'm like infatuated with getting back to rudiments that i never learned um posture placement stick grip like the whole nine yards like i'm just kind of like on this mission to get better and i feel like uh 
I had to go back in order to do that. And I think I was a, a little scared to uh, start from square one again. I think that guy around the Evil Urges era was uh, a little scared to go back. He's he's in the middle of trying to figure out what it's like to be a a, a band that's constantly touring and and uh, you know having to make changes along the way. So I'm making those changes now, but I have had more time off. That guy was pretty busy. Were you were you finding plateaus in your playing? Is that what kind of sparked that change, or what was the reason that you changed? Big time. Six two thousand sixteen. I I just felt like I was bored. I was mm. bored with the drums, my bag of tricks, so to speak. You know, like I, I was just like tired of the same goddamn fill every time, and like yeah, single stroke roll everything, and and uh, you know, like I, it's just what I I didn't sit down and learn double stroke rolls and flams. You know, like I, I I never learned any of that, so I just played by feel, and that's great. But I just got bored with it, and. I kind of took a step away from everything. It was about the time that our band went on hiatus, honestly. Um, I just kind of like hit a wall. And I don't know, practice and technique has just become something that is really interesting to me. And it's just paying off so much because I'm, I'm having so much more fun playing now. And I was just finding, I was just, I was playing like an asshole, <laughs> basically, <laughs> because I wasn't I wasn't using my body mechanics in my favor. I yeah. was working against. I was leaning into it. I was just like slamming as hard as I possibly could, and wondering why, like at the end of a song, why I couldn't take a solo because, like, I just bench pressed like a tour bus for for like forty five minutes. You know, like. I, I've just gotten to the point now where it's like working smarter, not harder on all, all forms of my life. And drumming is just one of them. And it's, it's paid off big time. This last tour, I've just really felt the difference. It's super fun. Well, it's great. It happened during the hiatus because I took a lesson with Dave Elich a few years ago. And <laughs> that's he funny. Just... I'm supposed to have a lesson with him too. That's we're, awesome. We're... We're in talks right now about body mechanics. Yeah. Oh my God. And he's he's great about that. It's just it was scary because I left the lesson and it was like, oh my God, I have I'm touring for the next six months and now I have this whole thing that I have to totally deconstruct everything. And he was awesome. He's like, dude, don't do this live. For you like you're obviously <laughs> working, do that. But like when you have some time off, work on this. Cause yeah, it just makes you feel like you can't do the old thing anymore. You can't do the new thing yet, obviously. And so you're in this purgatory of like what you were saying, like I'm drumming like an asshole. I don't know what I'm doing, but <laughs> well, that's funny that you're, yeah. I, well, that's that's the goal. Is I've I've just been working on that constantly. I haven't had my lesson from him yet, but he's on he's on the radar. We're on we're we're talking and trying to figure out a time to do it. That's, that's great. Did you see results from that? Absolutely. It's basically my my the the bottom half of my body is so much more relaxed. Not to do like a Dave Elich promo, but his main thing was like, we, <laughs> we discussed, uh, you know, like he, he asked what hi-hats I had and I told him and he's like, those are nice hi-hats. The way you're 
pushing on your left foot are making those probably sound like trash cans. Like you could have you could have spent twenty bucks on hi hats, and I was like, oh yeah, and I just relaxed a little bit. I'm like, oh you're right, those do actually sound like. I was just so tense, you know. It's like he had you feel your your hips, and it was just I didn't realize how just always just ready for action I was. It's it's crazy. Yeah. But um, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I asked this because I do have that relationship with technique a little bit, where there is something inherent about my playing that I grew up playing to records. I mean, I I'm a band geek, so I did have like somewhat lessons, but I've never had a consistent one-on-one drummer dissecting my technique, do this for next week, come back, whatever thing. And there is certain things about my playing that might not be good technique. But I always grew up, I'm a. I'm from Seattle, so Ichiro Suzuki was known to have like the worst batting stance. He would like step out of the batter's box. And by the way, I'm not a big baseball fan, so all these, <laughs> all these metaphors might be lost on some people. They're like, Ben's <laughs> using all the wrong terms. But he would step out of the batter's box. He would open up. He had the worst batting like follow through ever, but he has one of the best hitting, you know, averages of all time. And so I was like, well, this is me, you know? And I kind of wore it as a badge of honor that I like might not have the best technique, but but then after a while you're like, no, I'm I'm not able to execute what I want to, even though this one percent of thing makes me unique, the other ninety nine percent is holding me back. So it's kind of a balancing act. That's right. Yeah. You know, to to have the uh to have the confidence to be vulnerable is just like one step in the process, you know, like to, to, you, you have to be willing to go there and it's going to be ugly for a minute, Very <laughs> but ugly, you know, yeah. it, it ends up working out better for you. I'm, I'm glad to hear it work for you. Yeah. I, I would not have done that on tour. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. No, there's sometimes on stage. I just, I put, I literally leave that in the green room and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to my old ways. I'll text you in a second. That's funny. Like by the end of this last tour leg, uh, I was falling back into bad habits again. I could feel it. And I was like, man, I'm I'm glad we're getting ready to go on a break because I'm just going to go home and like focus on sitting back up again and like, you know, bringing things closer and using the stick instead of just beating it into the drum each time. It, and it, yeah, you, you just it's a constant work. I can already tell. Yeah. No, the, and the goalposts keep moving and it's just you have to be OK with it. So, yeah. well, I did want to jump into a few uh, uh, songs from your career and the backstory before we get into your top five. So the backstory on this one, um, Gunnar Olsen, who is now in Pucifer, has played with Bruce Springsteen, Big Data. He's come on the show a lot, close friend of the show, and we always have little, we just choose a topic and then we get into it. And one of them was Where's the One? And it's songs that, it's what's cool about being a drummer is you can imply something else before the guitar comes in that totally makes people go, oh, I was totally off. And this song I'm about to play was an honorable mention that almost made the show. Uh, but now I'm like, I'm, I'm happy I'm in, in front of you so we can talk about it. So it's a song called Lay Low by your band, <laughs> My Morning it. Jacket. Yeah, exactly. Uh, from the album Z, which came out in 2005. And so I'm going to play it right now for people that might not know this song. And... The way I heard it was incorrect the first time. So I'm going to play it and see if you all can, <laughs> if you're right or wrong. So here it is.
so. The way I heard that the first time was that the two bass drum hits are just on one E, and that you kind of open up the hi-hat on the E. But of course, that bass drum, that first bass drum you, you play is actually the pickup from the last measure. And so it's one, two, three, boom, boom, tap. But right. anyways, uh, when you wrote that, was that, I mean, because obviously that kind of matches what the guitar is doing, uh, which I'm assuming that was more of a jam uh, realization. But were you, <laughs> did you try and do that when you released it? You're like, this is going to screw some people up. <laughs> well, that's actually, this, that's the, the beauty of playing around with a drum machine is sometimes it makes you think about it. Drum machines make me think about drums differently than when I'm actually physically playing them. I yeah. approach it differently. And Jim had a, that was like actually like a sample. The inspiration for that was a sample from an old crappy keyboard that he had from when we were like in high school together. And I, he wrote the guitar part to that drum. Like he, he wrote oh. to that drum loop and then, uh, I can't remember who had the idea here. I, like, which one of us had the idea of like putting that artifact at the beginning of the phrase so that it the one kind of happens later. And yeah, yeah, it, it's just playing fun playing in the studio. And then, so I took that, and that's me playing. Uh, John Lucky was the producer on that album, and he was like, "Well, we shouldn't use this." drum loop let's have you play it and i played it on a on a pad and a real uh, like a, a trigger pad for snare drum and a hi-hat and a real bass drum and uh oh. recorded it in a big room and got a, a room sound out of it i was yeah i was gonna because gunner's gonna come back on the show and we're actually gonna do another version with jake reed and i'm i'm happy i get to talk to you about this because that would have been one of my contenders for the next episode so yeah. All right. Let's let's go to number two, and this is the most recent single from My Morning Jacket. I remember texting you because I loved it right away. So it's called Complex uh, by My Morning Jacket, and it came out this year. I love that song a lot, and I definitely encourage people to go check out the uh, the entire song because it kind of has like a Beatles White Album vibe as it kind of continues, which of course I love. So, yeah, what was well, what was kind of the the creation of that song? Because I know that you guys are are very known for each recording session being in a different part of the country with a whole different vibe, kind of creating a little cocoon around that vibe. So, what was the with quarantine and all that stuff, how did this album kind of happen? Well, this album actually happened before quarantine. Okay. This was like, uh, we literally, like I, I hit the last downbeat. We had dinner that night. I flew home and then two days later we were in quarantine. So oh this was God. literally right before the world ended, quote unquote. So um, this was actually, this album is the sound of a band finding itself again, really. I mean, we were we were really close to breaking up 
we had been at it. I mean, we've been together for this gestation of the band has been together since 2004. I joined the band in 2002. I mean, I'm approaching my 20th year. It, it, it's just like anything, but being in a band's a polyamorous marriage. Oh my <laughs> if, God. Yeah. If, if you know, you know, and, uh, yeah, this, we just, uh, had to call it quits for a little while. It just wasn't working out. And, uh, this was this, this album is kind of like us feeling out what it felt like to play together again. We did four shows to it. We had two red rock shows and a couple others that were on the books still that we had to honor. And so we went out and played them and just said, you know what, if these feel good, we'll keep searching this and see if, if it continues to feel good. And if it feels bad, we're done. And so it felt great playing those four shows. So we are like, okay, well, let's go into the studio. Let's just rent uh, a couple weeks at some place and, and we'll see like how that feels. And that felt great. So we did it two more times. And it's literally just us having fun, like, like really just falling back in love with, with our uh, chemistry and, and taking stock and how lucky we are that we have each other. And, and uh, that's the sound of that album. It's just, and we didn't let anybody else in that time. It was since we were trying to figure out if we wanted to still do this or not, there's no other producer. There was nobody else in the room. It was just the five of us. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the vibe. Well, speaking of just having fun, I want to play one more and then we can get into your top five. I'll stop being selfish. But this one uh, has always just made me so happy. And I'm curious why it just kind of the what was the uh, the genesis of this song? So here okay. it is. Turn it up first. <laughs> So that song is highly suspicious from <laughs> evil urges which is apparently that around the time you were drumming like an asshole so it's 2008 <laughs> no i'm still doing that oh, okay 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 no that's like i mean i'm i'm gonna probably piss off a lot of people i'm not the biggest prince fan but if prince sounded more like this i'd listen to a lot more prince so um yeah what was what was the vibe of that because that's a little bit obviously uh, a little bit of a departure from some of your guys's uh you know sound Sure. And I guess that's the, the whole point is that we never wanted to be painted in a corner. We still don't. Yeah. Um, I, and I feel like over 20 years of, of living like that has, has allowed us a certain pocket that just, you know, like we just follow the muse, you know, and I didn't write that. That's, that's something that Jim brought to the table and just said, here's a song that is completely out of left field but I'm really feeling it and it, it makes me laugh and I have fun. And we were just like, let's go. There's That's no, awesome. there's no wrong. Like, you know, who wants to be like one way all the time? I, I, I really appreciate that about every one of my band members. Like they're all fearless and uh, 
that's what makes for so much fun not only in the studio but particularly live uh in the improvisational side of things they're fearless they don't they don't get caught up on one particular thing and and highly suspicious <laughs> a perfect example of of just like you know trying something new and and it making the album whether people are in your management are telling you it's a terrible idea or not you know <laughs> did they did they tell you <laughs> yeah, that was that they were just to... like what what is this i mean what would you say if if you were managing a band and everything sounds like a rock band except for this song you're like what the hell are you doing yeah yeah i'd like to think i'd trust them but here, here's the honest thing if i'm thinking <laughs> of dollar signs i'd be like hey guys i love you but how about this could be like a fun little patreon thing you know <laughs> right um but that's also that allows people to not need to look elsewhere as bandmates like well no everything i'm writing that's weird as hell i'm still going to bring it to the dudes and see if it works out so that's right yeah and also it's just i think we like to think about uh our set lists too and we really love playing multiple nights and not repeating any songs and you want to have like just like ingredients when you're cooking like just different different spices to bring to the table uh, having different styles of songs is, is just so much fun to to make set lists with and throwing that one in after a really heavy song is just a palate cleanser people are just like what the, whoa what what happened <laughs> is that know. one that when you play it you get a surprisingly big response <laughs> you know at first I, i'll never forget when we first started playing that song i, I don't think people knew what the, they were just like what the hell is this like and, and now we don't play it that we don't play it a lot so when we do play it it gets a big reaction and that's just it's super fun yeah that's funny yeah there's a few luckily yeah yeah, yeah. um all right, so let's just jump into your your five, and you actually gave me, uh, and I'm grateful for, a little more than five. Give me a few bonus uh, additions, so we're going to play all of them. So the first one is uh, a, a specific groove that completely changed the way you think about drums, and you said it was the B section of The Temptations, What It Is, from the album oh, yeah. Solid Rock, 1973. So I will play it after you kind of give it a little bit of a context. Yeah, sure. Um my family listened to a lot of radio growing up and particularly Motown. Just anytime a Motown song came on the radio turned up, my dad loves the Temptations. So anytime the Temptations came on, it was even more so. And he had that album and and I just loved the song. He liked the driving part of it. And I would always listen to that. And I just remember the first time I heard it, I was probably like, five or six years old and I was already playing drums by then I uh I just remember like loving like the propulsion and like you know that that a section is just on top of the beat and rapid and it's pushing you forward and then all of a sudden that you're like okay well where's I was like waiting for the chorus or something like that and then the b section drops and it just drops the whole feel goes to the back of the beat and there's just tons of space and I just could not I probably listened to that change 40 times in the first week I heard that because I just couldn't believe how it made me feel. Uh, I didn't know how to articulate it at the time. It just felt so good. I mean, I, I wasn't saying God damn at that point in my life, but like everything about me was just going, God 
damn that's you know it just it's just a drop it's so funky it's so good anyway yeah play it i want to hear it so great <laughs> so they don't make records that just start off with like just a bunch of dudes hanging out around the microphone just having fun i yeah. know damn it it's so good <laughs> still still 43 years later i'm still just like holy shit that is such a good drum beat well and it's reassuring too because you don't need to be doing a bunch of ghost notes some weird thing it's like he's doing just a 16th note halftime I mean, he's making it feel good but that's it's pretty elementary yeah yeah that's the thing it's not about like and, and i guess that's what i'm trying to learn still is with technique is not overplaying it's like when to play yeah that's the goal like being a good listener knowing where to put things like he's just putting everything in the right spot and it just feels so good god the, it's so good and the claps, so are, the claps are on the upbeat so they're kind of yeah. helping him out as well to add a little bit of like it still has that double time feel to it um yep. And yeah, it's so it's so cool because back in the day, maybe it was a choice for sure, or maybe they was just it was done all in you know in the moment, and they, they forgot to turn the preamps down. But like when he hits those snare, it's it's blowing out those. Dude, <laughs> it's so peaking. It really is. It's just crunching. It's so great. Yeah, and I know that would be the Funk Brothers. So and I was trying to see like what lineage, like which drummer that was, but it could be probably four or five of those dudes. Um, yeah, and that was kind of a departure for the uh, Temptations because I remember that was the first record without two of the founding members. Um, that's right. So, so that was that's a kind of a, a a stamp in time for that band as well. So all right, just to move along, let's go to number two. And and again, I know I I always say this ad nauseum on this podcast. If I were to ask you a week from now, you'd probably have five different answers. So all these questions. That's the truth. Yeah. And just just so your listening audience knows, like I went through like it took me probably five days to finish these questions just because I was like, God, how do I like my answers changed like 40 times. And I just went 
honestly, I went with what you made me really think about um, the gestation of of all of this that I do now. Like, uh, 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 there's a ton of stuff that inspires me on a daily basis, but I ended up just kind of going back, and a lot of these answers are, you know, cliche or whatever, but they're they're cliche for a reason. Like, they're they're monumental moments in people's lives. So, yeah, like, I, I went back to my childhood for all these answers pretty much. This is great. And, like, I've had some uh, guests afterwards are like this, and I think you've kind of mentioned it, too. This is therapeutic. It's like, I didn't know who was I was. It was emotional, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's emotional. It really is, because you don't think about it when you're moving forward all the time. And, yeah, to go back and, and really, like, mentally go back to where it started is it's you, it triggers a lot of other memories too and you, you start thinking about people you miss and start thinking about like all these moments that you totally forget about that were really pivotal in in, in shaping you as a person like you know if you're a musician this is a calling you don't choose this and yep. and honing that you don't know how to articulate that when you're a kid but you still feel that that rumble in your belly and your that nervousness and that joy and you know like yeah thinking back on those like moments where like i had an aha moment as a kid is really incredible so thanks for providing that that thought line for me well hey man thanks i wouldn't for have done it otherwise me. hey y'all i wanted to <laughs> i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye i love that uh, so yeah, number two is your favorite, again, favorite, Phil Choice moment from a certain record. And you said, We Won't Get Fooled Again by <laughs> The Who. And you said it was uh, after the synth breakdown, right before the, 
I won't even pretend to be what he does, but the yeah, <laughs> the lot of H's. So, uh, why don't you, again, you can talk about it and then I'll, I'll play what you're talking about. Uh, where do you even begin with the who, you know, like, yeah, I mean, again, it, it's just, I'm going back to my childhood and I'm going back to like figuring out like what it is, this feeling is that I'm, that's taking me over every time I hear a song and I start tearing up or my goosebumps pop up all over my arms. Like, what is that? Why, why are these things? And the who is definitely a band that instantly grabs people. Like they're just so dynamic. And so the songwriting so good. And, and you have a lot of like over the top characters in that crew with in whistle holding down the whole fort with just like, like, I remember as a kid thinking he was boring, and then you hear, <laughs> I wish I could go back and be like, hey, listen to this isolated bass <laughs> track. He's busier than everybody on that damn stage. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so We Won't Get Fooled Again is just one of those one of those songs that's just undeniable. And I'll never forget the first time I heard that one, too, because I was camping with some friends in uh, like early high school and played it. And I heard it around a campfire the first time. And I'd never, I didn't know where the song was going. I, like when that synth, like everything kind of drops out and there's just that that synth just percolating there for a minute. And, and you're like, okay, well, what's coming next? And you hear it start to hit a moment and all of a sudden these drums come out of nowhere. And it's, it's on the one, but he's not playing in any particular time. It's just completely off the cuff. And it's it's really like one of those moments where I think it's Keith Keith Moon shows his Keith Moonness the most is it's just like whatever the hell he wanted to play for that moment and I don't know how they landed on it but they must have been in the same room together because it it just sounds like a band playing together and like feeding off the energy and when he finally hits that I'm a crescendo junkie. When he hits the end of it and the whole band kicks back in and Roger Daltrey screams, it is like one of the best rock and roll moments, period. Like, there's none better, in my opinion. It I, Again, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it because it's just that good. And I just love that fill because it's not overthought. It's not pretentious. It's literally just him feeling and anticipating the the moment that we haven't heard yet. He knows it's coming and he's preparing you for it. And I just love that theory. I love doing that stuff too. Kind of like a pre-fill to give you, that's what drum fills are to me in a lot of ways is, is kind of like an introduction to a change in the song or, you know, like, like the, the trumpeteer announcing the arrival of like this big moment getting ready to happen. And that's what it is. All right. Well, let's. I, and I agree with everything you just said. So let's just play. Won't get fooled again. And I'm going to start it at about 7:20. It's it's quite a ways uh, into this uh, little keyboard thing you were referencing, and then of course the fill. So here we go.
it's so special. <laughs> <laughs> I had to listen to it with my eyes closed. Just because I noticed that. I don't yeah. know, man. It's just so good. Yeah, I, I love again fearlessness, like sure. just just pioneering the whole way. And that's like I, it's. I didn't remember this when I sent that to you, but he has a hi hat. In that song, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, wait, there's a hi hat in a, in a Who song. That's amazing. Yeah, like, how crazy is that? The man played with no hi hat for years. No hi hat. I don't know what I would do without a hi hat. I know it's that's that's my metronome. Yeah, um, totally. But uh, I actually want to get. I'm not sure if it's that song, but there's that famous. Maybe it is that song. Um, it's the famous in studio where Keith's wearing his red shirt that just says Keith on it. I want to I want to get that shirt uh, that say Keith, not me, by all means, but just a red shirt that says Keith. That's the easiest Halloween costume ever. That's great. You're going to have to cut some bangs, though. I know. I know. Got to get some bangs and get like that. Yeah, and I need to. I think he actually did like the pre Darren King thing where he taped his his headphones around his head. Because totally. He moves a lot. If you don't know. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yep. All right, so number two, what is this? Number three, and uh, it's a performance which you either witnessed or played that altered your musical experience. And I was so happy when you sent this because there's a chance that I might be going up to the barn uh, in in January. But uh, please, go ahead. Well, Levon Helm has been, and the band for that matter, they've been such a huge part of just... Well, my whole band's vision of how things should be. And, you know, like, uh, I mean, I just can't tell, I can't explain enough, like, how much that guy's feel and just his swagger and his sense of humor and his sensibility. Levon is just like one of, one of my all time biggest inspirations. And we, we got to meet him a couple of times. We did a, um, a cover for a uh, a band tribute album, and we recorded it. We were one of the only ones to record it, actually at his house. And he was on the other side of the wall the whole time. And we're playing. It makes no difference. And we're just like, "Holy oh, crap! Wow. I know he can hear this." Like we hadn't met him yet. We know he's this like you know bigger than life character is on the other side of this wall, and we're sitting here playing the song where his his friend who passed away is singing and like we're you know we're like we're just nervous that we're not doing this thing the right way and he came over later that night and was just so sweet and invited us in and like the best storyteller ever mm. and through that we kind of like struck up a, a you know small friendship and he invited us to come play a ramble which you're getting ready to go do obviously and yeah. so we got to play a ramble finally and uh you know after the set he came over after our set between the time between our set and his set he came over and just showered me with compliments and i didn't know uh, i still don't know what to say about it frozen <laughs> I, I could i don't think i breathed i don't think i took a breath the whole time and he, he was just so generous with his heart and his time and was just like i don't know couldn't have been sweeter and he he grabbed me and he's like well patrick i want you to come sit over here and like sat me over in this window still and i was like what's he doing and he's like just 
you just enjoy yourself. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? And he sat down right then and there. And the set started. It wasn't like he didn't like have this pretension where he went back and it's leave on home. It, yeah. It, he literally just like sat down and everybody sat down and they started playing. And for that hour and a half, I got to sit behind one of my heroes and just watch him, watch his feel, watch his body, watch him cue people. Watch him listen. Like that was so important to me to watch the listening going on and and like how he was accenting things and and just it was just the great it was one of the greatest moments of my life because yeah. he's he was just so unique in every way that he approached his instrument and his voice and how he conducted a band and uh, that. That changed me forever. He was having so much damn fun. I swear, I, I was like, I'm always so uptight when I'm playing. Like, I need to loosen up. God, this is this is a joy to do this stuff. You know, like, stop taking yourself so seriously because he's just like hemming and hawing the whole time and like looking back at me and shooting me a smile and being like, hey, you like that? You know, or like, you oh my a good, God. he was like checking on me to make sure I'm having a good time. Like, <laughs> it, it was it changed me forever like uh, that was that was a, a big one for me for sure and i've totally forgotten about it until uh you asked me that question and i oh. went through a bunch of them and i was just like oh my god i got to sit, sit behind levon like that was it doesn't get much better when was this was this like 2007 8 9 when was this it was probably like 2010 between 8 and 10 I am insanely, I mean, obviously you deserve everything, every reason why you're there in that seat behind him, but I'm very jealous. That would have been, <laughs> that is, I mean, kind of fuck you because that's so, that's so <laughs> rad, man. I'll take that. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, there was a video, I think it was actually one of the last interviews he did. Um, someone came to one of the rambles and was just talking to him about the hardships and kind of why the rambles were created and all that. If people don't know, I think we talked about it on the Levon Helm episode with Steve a few months ago, but uh, at the end of the interview, it's kind of fading out and, and Levon stops, like he kind of stops talking to the interviewer and he goes to every one of the crew members, makes eye contact. He's like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You did great. Thank you for being here. He makes eye contact with everyone. And it's like this fade out kind of like not even the most important part. But to me, it was like, that's why he's such a good drummer. Cause that interaction, everyone feels appreciated and seen. You just seem like an amazing guy. He was all that and more. Yeah. Good listener. Great. Sto consummate storyteller. Yes. God, I wish, there, I wish there were more Levon stories out there. I mean, it, it, sitting around his table after that, we, there's a tradition where everybody goes into the kitchen afterwards and just sits around. And like he's like, come, he, again, generous with his heart, generous with his time. Like, Patrick, come over here. There's like a ton of people there that he has history with and and could have picked over me. And I was just like this little kid, like with a band playing another damn band playing as his barn. But he brought me in, sat me down next to him on the table and uh, or at the table. And we talked for another two hours with everybody around. And it was just remarkable. Yeah. He has that, he has that smirk when he talks to that. He has that lust for life that he's just always kind of like that boyish, 
vibe to him, and it was it was great. And again, I could talk about Levon all day, all all day, and a lot you of these pod- both, a lot of these podcasts are end up kind of di- <laughs> you know divulging into that. But yeah. let's let's move on uh, sure. because people are like, we get it, Ben, you love Levon. <laughs> but uh, the next one, I forget what number we're at, but the next one, your favorite drummer, and it's kind of a funny little transition. But again, your favorite drummer of the week, uh, and and, and uh, their how their overall body of work has affected you. And this is kind of going to be a two-part. It'll, it'll kind of bleed into the next next uh, choice. Yes. Um, that took a... This one probably took the, the least amount of time. Okay. Because, uh, you know, I, I have a ton of people that I draw from. And we're talking about Levon. We're talking about Steve Gadd. We're talking about, like, I mean, Bernard Purdy, which leads into my favorite drummer of all time, which is John Bonham. Mm. Uh he and his bandmates have probably influenced me the most. And I don't directly play like him or anything like that, but it just hit Led Zeppelin hit me at the right time. Um, and it just made sense to me. And, and as I've gotten older, it's even made more sense to me. Um, just what it is about him that, I, that draws me to him and, Honestly, like I love humility. Uh, I think I when I meet a humble person, I really feel like there's complexity in that person and ego isn't driving their decision making. Mm-hmm. And that guy had the biggest bag of tricks and all the chops, every bit of talent you could possibly want out of like a jazz drummer or anything. And he could still play us. He would straighten it out and only wield it when he, when it was right. So he had the discipline to practice and to get really good at all these fills and all these, you know, limb independent maneuvers, but like could keep it steady and straight and play with John Paul Jones and stay in the pocket, but then accent Jimmy page or Robert plant with, his hands and like just just be present in the moment and i just think that led zeppelin is a great example of that and it's something that i strive to do not because not just because of them but just in general like being a good listener is almost more important to me than being an excellent player um, because it it makes for a better moment it makes for better music And it makes for better human interaction in general. And so I, I think that John Bonham is my favorite because he really like, he's one of the people that by and large exemplifies that the most. Uh, And this will just lead into the next uh, section or the next question, which is a record that hit you at the right time and (laughs) represents a big piece of your artistry. And you alluded to it. Uh, it's uh, Led Zeppelin, obviously, and this is Cashmere from Physical Graffiti. And maybe I, maybe I already ruined the story, and maybe I'll edit that part out. But you did have a story about <laughs> you did have a story about Led Zeppelin. Yeah, it's it's a good seg because my favorite another easy question to answer was like like a, an album that hit me at the right time. And and before for those of you who are listening, like. I know it's going to be it's going to sound like an old man get off my lawn story but before Google and Shazam and all that stuff like we didn't have a way to look up songs that we hear that we like it wasn't instantaneous it was a treasure hunt and I actually 
feel bad that like I love the instantaneous nature of that now. It, it saves a lot of time, but God, part of the the joy of of finding out that stuff is the hunt, you know. And I kept hearing this. I was familiar with Led Zeppelin and and really into a lot of their early stuff, one and four in particular. Um, it was like fifth grade or so when I really started falling in love with them. And right around sixth grade. I heard I started hearing the song on the radio every once in a while and I was just like this chord progression I I again wasn't old enough to articulate it but the chord progression wasn't something that I was super familiar with it sounded uh exotic and it sounded it, it immediately like kind of hypnotized me and entranced me I I always heard it and it the DJ would always play it like in the block of a song a block of like four songs so I wouldn't get the name of it. I would always be like, God damn it, I got to go do something. And I don't know the name of the song. And it haunted me for like six months. And my neighbor at the time, we lived in a, in a cul-de-sac and had a real close community there. My neighbor, Tom Buss is his name. He was a big record collector, big music fan, had a quadraphonic set up in his basement. So whenever we were over there, he knew I liked music and he would play me stuff. Well, he and my dad grilled out a lot and like late at night had beers and chicken wings going. And, and I had asked a bunch of people and nobody, I was like going, dun, 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 and nobody, they're just like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I was like, dun, I'm dun, never going to learn this yeah. song. <laughs> and it dawned on me one night when we were sitting outside of my parents' house garage, they were, grilling wings and drinking beer and talking. And I was like, oh, that's Tom. He might know. And I I hummed that to him. And he, I'll, I'll never forget it. He just looked at me and he like put down his beer. And he's like, my dad's name's Tim. And he's like, Tim, uh, I'll be right back. Patrick, come with me. And we walked over to his house and he took me down in the basement. And he just, he picked up the record. And I'll never forget it because it's like one of the greatest album covers of all time. And I was just like, oh, okay. And I I could tell it was Led Zeppelin, but I didn't know what it was. And he just put he put it on. He dropped the needle on, on Kashmir and, and just turned it up really loud and said, is this it? And flicked the, uh, the lever and the needle went down and it just went. And I was just like, oh, that's it. That, it was like, I, I started crying. Like it was like this moment and he just i could tell that it was just a joyous thing for him too because it was like a torch barrier you know like here's he's passing the torch this new this little shit kid loves this band as much as i do and and uh i went back and i got that album the next day i remember it was on a, a saturday night sunday we had to go to church and then right after that i had like lawn mowing money and i was like mom take me to to uh I forget where, which record store, Sam Goody or something. I was going to say Sam I, Goody, yeah. And I went and got um, Physical Graffiti, the double CD set, and it changed my life. Like, I that that record goes all over the place. Mm -hmm. It really does. And, and it really just taught me, like, so much about everything that I needed to know at that moment. Ten Years Gone being a perfect example of, of allowing space so that you can when you come in it really 
you make it count. There's you leave headroom for things. There's just a thousand lessons in that in that uh, album, and it just it hit me at the right time. At sixth grade, I was like hungry, and I was like, I want to be a musician. Hell and yeah. I wasn't taught like I could do it for a living, but I was like, this is this feels amazing. Like I want to do this forever. And that was just a monumental moment. I don't even know if he knows that. Uh, I hope he hears this because uh, I I haven't seen him in a while, and and like I don't know if he knows how monumental of a moment that was for my life. That's awesome. I also love. So that thanks went from- again for bringing that that memory up. <laughs> I love you went from church to Zeppelin. That's 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 how that's how <laughs> it should be. Couldn't wait to get out of church. No. <laughs> the music was my church. My yeah. parents made me go to that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here is here's Cashmere from Physical Graffiti. <laughs> just confidence it's you know i i hear chefs talk about this a lot too that are that are like like once they've reached a point in their career where they're confident and they're comfortable with themselves like they the things that they make are so much more simple and they're all which allows like the time that they spend on sourcing ingredients and the technique that they use for this moment to shine like that's a perfect example of of a drummer who's just like, I could do anything I want to this, and that this is what that song needs. It needs to drive. And he does these beautiful fills throughout that song at certain points, but that's not the the point is not show off. The point is to be a steward for the 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 sum of the parts, the greater good. Well, yeah, and, that chord progression is disorienting in a way, and so he he's aware that he's like, I need to just give it some sort of context of like this. Shoot it right down the line. Yeah, yeah. right down the middle. All right, so here's some bonus ones for you. And uh, speaking of <laughs> of Gunner, uh, earlier in the show, he plays with Pucifer, and so Maynard is obviously in Tool, which is your next one. And yeah. I, I've never actually said this album name out loud. How do you say it? <laughs> <laughs> Capital A, capital this, E, uh, Anima. <laughs> A-anima? You know, it's so funny. I still don't know how to say it, and I think they laugh. I, I think they laugh all the way to the grave with this one. Good. I think it was just a perfect example of of their their mystique and uh, <laughs> sense of underlying sense of humor with everything is just like naming it something like that, so people just mispronounce it every damn day. Yeah. Sure. Here we are. <laughs> but yeah, it's that album A A E N I M A. You can I'm sure you know, I'll put it in the show notes, I'll list that it. Album. So what what do you think? Yeah. So uh <laughs> yeah, why does that album uh, stand out to you? Well, that came out in nineteen ninety six and that was I, I graduated high school in ninety six. So that came out my freshman year in college. And I had gone through, as you could tell in my 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 picks from childhood and stuff like that like 
I listened to classic rock and, and soul and Motown and stuff like that a lot growing up. And then like in high school, I, I, I really fell in love with like punk and indie rock and, and like deconstructing all that, all that stuff. And just, it was just fresh and new. And, and I really just enjoyed people who maybe not, maybe weren't like the greatest musicians of all time playing with emotion I, I loved all that but i was starting to kind of get tired of like not hearing like a really good guitar solo or hearing somebody that could actually sing and the drummer that was like you know singing to me and and uh there was just something about the timing of this album when it came out it was like a tidal wave it it hit me at the right time and it is just a masterwork. i just listened to it again recently uh i bought it on vinyl when it came out and mm. and uh yeah i it it's a continuous uh progression of songs that kind of bleed into one another in a perfect sequence sequencing so big to me too like we, that's like one of the only times my my morning jacket gets in a heated argument is when we're sequencing the album because i mean if you actually sit down and listen to the work as it's supposed to be that means something that's the pacing that's the that's that's how the artist wants you to listen to something and tool just did such a great job with that and they they put this beautiful little like seventh inning stretch uh organ intermission in the middle that that is literally the chord progression of the song that follows in a much oh. heavier full band way and it's just like again it's around camping and and campfires and stuff like that but there may have been you know stuff going on that night that i'm not going to talk that <laughs> that this could be evidence for but you know it's just it's really funny to like go on this journey with the band for the, the first half of the album and then you hear this organ thing and you're like oh you, you immediately you're like oh okay well that's that's done what's next and then it goes like oh phase act two starts and it's just brilliant and the way that they start it and the way that they finish it, it's just a brilliant work of art. And it stands the test of time. I'm surprised that people don't talk about that as like one of the great rock and roll albums of all time. I love it. And so I'm actually not even going to play from that record because I want people to do what you're talking about. Go around a campfire, do some things you can't talk about in a podcast and listen to it from <laughs> start to start to finish and Rolades. just enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Go eat a bunch of Rolades. Exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 And, uh, <laughs> you know, cure your upset stomach and listen to this album. There you go. Uh, <laughs> All right, and so the next one is uh, one of my favorite records. Uh, it's it's the the Flaming Lips, the Soft Bulletin, and yeah. and yeah, why'd this album speak to you? Again, it was just like right time, right part of life, just a breath of fresh air. God, and you know that was a big transition for that band too, and to intentionally go in and not play distorted guitars like that was the big restraint that they put on that project is we're not going to go in and when it feels like we're going to go <laughs> with a guitar they're going to bounce back and they're going to let like a, a string section like a, a string pad on a synth take that and the result is just gorgeous and a lot of that has to do with you know uh dave fridman is a brilliant 
producer and a beautiful human being. Uh, obviously, Wayne Coyne is a an amazing lyricist and songwriter. And honestly, that was when Stephen Drozd got a chance to uh, just Stephen Drozd the living Jesus out of that album. And he's all over the place. But the drum grooves on that fucking album are so good. Yeah. Uh, it makes you sick. He's like one of my all-time favorite drummers, too. Like 100%. And I don't hear a lot of drummers talk about Stephen Drozd. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand that at all. Because he plays... He's one of those guys that plays everything well. But in particular drumming he approaches it in a way that nobody does and it and uh hearing that album for the first time was just i mean it's another one that still is as good now or even better now with more life lived than it was when it came out but it was a breath of fresh air when it did yeah i'm with you i i think maybe he doesn't get the credit he deserves from drummers because maybe with like marketing with the band because Steve doesn't play drums live. He's more of the Augs guy, synth guy, you know? And so maybe live people just don't associate him with the drummer for these crazy records. Yeah, you're right. And like when I saw him, he wasn't playing drums. The first time I saw him on that tour and he was a projection on a screen. He was playing guitar. That whole tour, it was just him projected on a screen and they played to a click track. Oh, I didn't know that. Is there, it's hard to pick a song, but is there a certain song you want to kind of showcase? I mean, Race for the Prize is a great example. I know it's the first one, but. Man, that's a good question. Spider Bite's great. Uh, Buggin' is a good one. Okay. I love, I love the drum beat on that song so much. All right, here we go. Yeah, so good. And not every song is just distorted drums like that, but they definitely do. You know, obviously the the producer for this record went on to go with Tame Impala. Really, really good about getting really cool drum sounds, uh, iconic drum sounds to make it in the most basic way to describe that. But um, really cool forward thinking uh, producing and engineering techniques on that whole record. He's still that. I got a chance to work with him a couple of years ago on a Vanessa Carlton record, and he. Oh wow. Is, Dave Fridman is just such a he's he's so much of everything but what he is is he's we're talking about fearlessness comes comes up a lot in this 
this conversation between the two of us and none more fearless than Dave Fridman. Like he is just like, I don't care what the, what the protocol is for this. Like we're going to, I don't even want to use this machine the right way. I want this sound and I'm going to manipulate this to get, like he just has this thing in his head and he just combs through until he gets it. And it's awesome. It's awesome to watch and, and, and be a part of it. Oh dude, I bet. Well, Patrick, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. I hope to see you soon, and have a great day, dude. All right, you too. Take care. All right, cheers, dude. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe, and if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.